This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, a financial partner for businesses throughout the South for 130 years. Trustmark offers a range of products and services designed to help small businesses efficiently manage finances. More info at Trustmark.com, member FDIC. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Ryder is a chartered financial analyst and holds their Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Our guest today is attorney Richard Courtney, who will take questions and explain the ABLE accounts. It's an opportunity for qualified individuals with special needs to have a tax-free savings account that will support their health and independence while preserving their means-tested government benefits. We'll learn who best benefits from this type of account and how to start one. And as always, we're looking for your general personal finance questions as well. So give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show as well. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. So good morning, gentlemen. Hope you're doing well this morning. Good morning. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, Ryder, we always like to start the show off with financial news in the news. Uh, well, yes. Yeah, so the stock market has kind of continue to punch at highs, um, kind of all-time highs lately, and and so you know got to thinking about the we we are we're halfway through the year, and we're up just on uh, the Fourth of July, and around holidays you always kind of think you know the stock market is made of for the most part people making big decisions and and trading on that, and and people get really optimistic about Fourth of July, people like Fourth of July, people like holidays, um, so does that influence the stock market? There's always some speculation about that. People always try to play around that. Um, there is maybe a little evidence that it might, but the effect is just so tiny that I do not advise anybody go out and trade on that <laughs> on that hope. Um, and also, just the way the holiday lands, you know, you have a Thursday of the, everyone's going to be off on that Thursday, and then the Friday, you know, Again, the people who trade stocks might also be taking that Friday off, so it might be a quiet day in the market. Um, but again, you know, holiday weekend, we always look forward to, you know, big spending. Um, you know, probably the most hot dogs consumed in a single day is is coming up this Thursday. So big economic figures like that. We're always looking out for the for the hot dog figures every the first week of every month. So, so you should invest in hot dog futures, I guess. <laughs> get, the, get those hot dogs. <laughs> so where David Letterman said that July 4th combines the two things that uh, Americans like the most, explosives and alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) There are are a lot of that going on this weekend, absolutely. I've learned my lesson with uh, um, fireworks. I know when I was in high school, uh, lived in Florida, we used to chase each other down the beach. One person would have a Roman candle in their hands (laughs) and be directing the flaming balls at the other person at the other end of the beach. And then you look back and think, that probably wasn't too wise for uh, each person on either end. And, And I will say, you know, Know, tune in to the uh, the health related shows later on where they will be talking about the dangers of pointing fireworks at your friends. Uh, so <laughs> I'm pretty sure I heard exactly that um, on the radio yesterday. So be careful out there, y'all. All right. So our guest today is Rick Courtney, an attorney specializing in elder law, estate planning, and special needs planning. Rick, always good to have you on the program with it's us. It's always good to be here. All right. So we're going to be talking about the ABLE account today. So if you would just maybe start by giving us kind of a broad overview. 
Well, uh, for people that are have disabilities, uh, there are often limits on the amount of assets, money that you can own and still keep, things like SSI. That's Supplemental Security Income is what SSI stands for. It's a Social Security program for a person that may have never paid into the Social Security system, but they can get a payment every month to help buy food and shelter, basic expenses. And then there's Medicaid, which is medical insurance that helps pay attendance or nursing home or various things that Medicaid may pay. Well, those programs have asset limits, and they're $2,000 as the countable asset limit for SSI. A person with a disability can't have more than that money in the bank to qualify. And for some Medicaid programs, it's 4000 Well, that $2,000 asset limit has been the same for SSI since the early 80s. It has not gone up. Wow. If that, And other Social Security benefits are indexed for inflation. You know, they go up each year with cost of living. And I saw where that if that had been indexed for inflation, it would currently be over $8,300 that a person could have and still keep their benefit. Well, because of that low limit and no change in that, the ABLE Act was passed to allow a person with disability to have an to have an account similar to a college savings plan type account. And we'll discuss how that's set up early later on. Uh, and not be disqualified for SSI and Medicaid. It's a non-countable account. Uh, and I think we, as you, uh, you and Ryder were chatting before we came on the air, uh, each state sets up this uh, program uh, on their own or independently of each of other states. That's right. This 529, the, the ABLE Act, is set up under the Internal Revenue Code. It's not a Social Security or Medicaid law. It's a, it's a tax law in the IRS. Mm. And it's set up similar to Section 529 college savings plans. So those, you can't go to a bank and set up a college savings plan. You go to the state treasurer's office. Similarly, for ABLE Act accounts, you can't go to a bank and set one up. You go to the State Department of Rehab Services in Mississippi, and there's a number and a website we can share with people uh, to go for more information to set one of these accounts up. Uh, how long has the ABLE program been in Mississippi? Uh, we just launched it in June, so this okay. is a great thing that uh, you're doing on the program today. We're trying to get the word out to people mm-hmm. with disabilities, and about twenty, about one in five Mississippians has a disability, according to the statistics. So wow. there may be a lot of people who could use this to keep their public benefits and still have a way to save some for a more secure financial future uh, with the ABLE account. But we launched ours in June. We're not the first state. We're not the last state to launch them. But it's taken a while to get through the legislative process and then get uh, the, the whole act set up in Mississippi. So are there any restrictions on who can get one of these accounts? Yes, uh, there are restrictions. The act, when it was passed, it was in, it's called the Stephen J. Beck Achieving a Better Life Experience Act of 2014, and ABLE stands for Achieving a Better Life Experience. That act had no age limit. Anyone could, with a disability could have set one of those up. When the Congressional Budget Office scored the cost of that for the federal budget, you know, how much additional SSI or Medicaid are we likely to pay out over 10 years if we do this, it would go, was going to cost $20 billion. Mm-hmm. They could not find $20 billion of offsetting pay-fors elsewhere. So they put an age restriction. Only people whose disability began prior to age 26 
can have an ABLE account. So, and when they did that, it dropped the cost from $20 billion to $2 billion, and they were able to pass it. So uh, for persons whose disability began prior to age 26, who have a disability that's similar to what Social Security would consider a disability. Now, if you just got bad eyesight, that's not going to do it. I mean, right. but you have to have a determination by Social Security from an application that you filed for some benefit that you were determined disabled or by Medicaid that you were determined disabled, or you can self-certify disability in the ABLE Act. Uh, that's different. And so you can provide self-certification with medical documentation that, yes, I have a disability that would be equivalent to what Social Security would recognize, and it began before age 26. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with attorney Rick Courtney, who's explaining the ABLE account. It's a way for uh, uh, Mississippians with disabilities to have a savings account uh, to give them some extra money for uh, their health and independence, but also preserving uh, SSI or Medicaid if they qualify for that as well. If you have a question for Rick or if you have a general personal finance question that Ryder can help you with, we've got some open phone lines. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven. Seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show as well. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. So, Rick, you mentioned that uh, in Mississippi it's been administered through uh, the Department of Rehabilitative Services, and you said I think in other states it might be through maybe the, the, the Treasurer's Office or that sort of thing. Do you know the reasoning why Mississippi chose the route it went? Well, the Department of Rehab Services in Mississippi provides lots of different types of services to uh, people with disabilities in the state, and they have regional offices throughout the state. Uh, almost, I don't know the number, but around eight or ten offices that they have throughout the state. So they're able to reach out into the disability community. And when we were putting our program together, we wanted there to be an access to, uh, say, a paper application for those that don't have computers mm. at home. And we have a lot of people in rural areas that may not have access to Wi-Fi or computer. You can set it up online on a computer, but you can also go to one of the uh, uh, Department of Rehabilitation Services offices, and they have people there who are trained now to help you complete an application for an ABLE account in their offices. So that's the reason they were willing and able and and have that reach into the community across the state. All right. uh, Let's uh, take our first break this hour. We're visiting today with Rick Courtney about the ABLE account, uh, and we'll continue that discussion after the break. Also, we're looking for general personal finance questions. So give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 or email the show. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio.
information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. You know, if you ever miss part of the show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash money talks to listen again. Always, Also, we'd like to remind you of the MPB Public Media app. Download that for your smartphone, and you get to listen to all the programs on MPB Think Radio on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. And our guest is Rick Courtney of Courtney Elder Law Associates, a division of Frescona Courtney PLLC. Today we're talking about the ABLE accounts. Uh, it's a way for uh, disabled Mississippians to have a savings account that they can use to help them uh, support their health and independence, but also preserving their means-tested government benefits like SSI and uh, Medicaid. Uh, Rick, we have an email here that actually um, is about one of your other specialties. Uh, so it says, I have a question if there's anything I should look out for after the probate of an estate in terms of finding any missing assets or bills that may come in. I'm about seven months out from my mother-in-law's death, and none of our parents are around for guidance. And this question was about after a probate or during a probate. It sounds like it may be during a probate. Once And, and for those, uh, the probate is the process where you file a will or open an estate and notify creditors of the deceased person so the creditors mm. have a chance to get paid. That's what probate is it's for. It's their last chance. Yeah, and so you have to go through the mail that was coming to the deceased parent or grandparent, uh, you have to find, if you can, what documents they had in their home or that people know about, like loan documents and credit card bills and stuff. Uh, look in their wallet to see if they have credit cards mm-hmm. that you can look on the back and say, call those patients and say, look, do, do they owe you any money? Is there any outstanding at death? Um, that's the only way I know to find out about mm-hmm. debts that are owed and claims that might be out there is to just do your bird dogging, you know, do yeah. all those sources. And just uh, one other sort, you know, looking at bank statements and looking for um, mm-hmm. money transfers in or out where those might be coming from. Uh, and possibly if yeah. you're working with, uh, if they have, so if they haven't, besides having a lawyer or a financial advisor who would know of other assets and debts out there, um, you know, or a banker who may know. Oh well, you know they they have their account here was linked to this other account, uh, so that's those are possible ways. But yeah, just just looking through everything, well, and and looking and for th- evidence. Yeah, look back several months because there may be a quarterly draft Absolutely. coming out to say AAA or some place like that that they owe money to. All right, so we've got some open phone lines. If you have a question about ABLE accounts for our guest, Rick Courtney, if you have a personal finance question, please give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Email the show. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. In the meantime, we'll continue uh, giving you some information about these ABLE accounts. Rick mentioned earlier in the first part of the show that it's just started here in Mississippi this month, so this is something new, uh, so we're trying to give you some information, uh, try to help uh, get the word out about this uh, this new program. Uh, so um, who can open uh, an ABLE account? 
Uh, anyone can open an ABLE account. I can open an account for um, my child or myself if I have the disability. Um, and a person in Mississippi, if a person opens an ABLE account, they get a, um, a state income tax deduction. Our state has allowed that, a state income tax deduction for that contribution. So anyone can open an account for a child. If I have a child under uh, age 18 or 21, obviously they can't manage their account themselves, so I can be the one to manage it as the parent or legal guardian. If there is an adult with a disability who has given me a power of attorney, then I can use the power of attorney to open an account and to manage it. If I'm the guardian or conservator of a person with a disability, that would give me the authority to manage the account and deal with it. And there's a limited amount that can go into that account every year. Mm. It's only up to, there can be one account per disabled person. Okay. So if there are divorced parents for who each want to set up an ABLE account, they both can't do it. They have to have one account. They have to come together for that That's one. That's exactly right. Uh, the first one's the one that, that wins. <laughs> so uh, the other one is going to be countable by SSI and Medicaid. But um, the up to $15,000 is the maximum that can be put into an ABLE account from all sources during a year right now. Okay, so that's similar to um, just the gift tax limit, except that is that is total from all sources, not that's not right. fifteen thousand per donor or per, per gift. That's right. It is from okay. all sources. The mo- the maximum amount that can be contributed into an able account is fifteen thousand dollars in a year. So okay. you need to coordinate with friends and family and make sure they're not going to exceed that. In Mississippi's plan, we have uh, linked with a consortium of states, about sixteen other states in developing our plan, and it allows for crowdfunding. So a person, a young adult with a disability, can notify their friends, and there's a a Mm -hmm. resource on this uh, website that would allow them to notify friends, have an announcement on there that I have an ABLE account. If you want to contribute something, you can, and let other people help Hmm. fund their future. That's a nice benefit. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, that's a very popular, you know, thing these days, especially with social media sharing, you know, oh, so-and-so is in need, you know, can we all chip in to box for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that. That's, you know, keeping up with uh, the, the cutting edge kind of thing. Of um, So uh, what can the money in the account be used for? The law contains what are called qualified disability expenses. Go back to the uh, education uh, 529 college savings plans. That money, when it goes in, is not taxed. Uh, you get a tax deduction, I think, for that. Uh, when it comes out, if the student p- uses it later to pay for tuition, room, books, uh, things related to education, it is not taxable income to the student when it comes out and they use it to pay for things. Similarly, the ABLE account, if it's used for qualified disability-related expenses later, it is not income to that individual when they take the money out. So it's tax-free growth while it's in the account, and it is tax-free when it's taken out if it's used for qualified disability expenses. And there's a, a list in the statute, uh, and uh, it's a fairly long list. Uh, it's transportation, housing, uh, social services, medical-related things. So most things that a person with disability may want to use that for could be considered disability-related expenses. 
This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio, visiting day with attorney Rick Courtney. We're understanding more about the ABLE accounts and the ABLE Act. Uh, it's a way for disabled Mississippians to have a savings account that they can use uh, to help support their health and independence while preserving their means-tested government benefits. Also, riders here looking for personal finance questions, so give us a call if you'd like to join our conversation today. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. Send an email to money at mpbonline.org. So I think that you mentioned that it, uh, the money, uh, there's interest accrued. Where are the accounts housed? Okay, just similar to college savings plan. There is a, there's an administrative company that would manage the investments and those things. When you open an ABLE account, and I want, before I forget, can I go ahead and give the number out oh, that people please. can oh, call? Yes. Yes, there's a website or a telephone number that people can call to get information about ABLE accounts and also even on the website to set up an account. The uh, website is www.mississippiable, spelled out, mississippiable.com. So MississippiAble.com, easy to remember, go there, and it's got a lot of information about the ABLE accounts, and you can actually set up an account from that website. The phone number, if you need to use the telephone to get information, is 888-609-3469. That's 888-609-3469, and that's the Mississippi ABLE uh, program, and you can go in there and set up the accounts. And uh, you were asking before I got to that. What was your last question? Uh, we were talking about uh, where they're housed and uh, oh, that's right. Who manages the accounts? Yeah, uh, the same company that manages many states' uh, college savings plans called a census is the administrative agency that manages those. With Mississippi's able accounts, you have six investment options from very conservative to more liberal or, or aggressive. Pre- aggressive, that's the word. Thank you, Tyler. <laughs> um, uh, so you go. You have six investment options, including Vanguard and BlackRock stocks in those. So it's good, solid funds. Mm-hmm. Plus you have an FDIC-insured checking account with an interest-bearing feature of, I think it's .00025 or something. Ooh, like that. that's, that's pretty pretty <laughs> enticing right there. That's right. Those checking accounts really blew it, don't they? And, uh, it, and there's a debit card feature available so that if the person needs to access the funds in the account to pay for things, even rent in their apartment or other disability-related things, they can use the debit card. So um, who would you say, I mean, I think obviously the person who the account is for benefits from it, but would you say that maybe other people in their family, possible caregivers, that sort of thing, might benefit from this program as well? Oh, certainly. It is a way for there to be money uh, available for that person with a disability to use for caregiver expenses or other things that may help the whole family in taking care of that person. It also gives them independence. The beneficiary that the account is for is the owner and controller, and that's that. Even though it, they control it and can spend it themselves, uh, it's not counted as their money against them for their benefit purposes. Uh, but it also, we do a lot of special needs trust in our office for people, grandparents who want to leave money to a grandchild with a disability, or parents who want to leave money to a child and they don't want them to lose their benefits. So they set up a special needs trust and put the money in there. Well, that has no limit on the amount of money that can be put in. 
then, where the ABLE Act is limited to 15000 per year, uh, but uh, the special needs trust would not have to pay Medicaid back when that beneficiary dies, but the ABLE account can act like a special needs trust because it doesn't count and mm-hmm. they can keep their benefits. It's a way for other people to put money there for their benefit. It does have a Medicaid payback at death when that person dies, the disabled person. Mm. Medicaid is first in line to get paid back from that money. So those are a few of the details about it can help a family who doesn't want to pay lawyer's fees to set up a special needs trust have a resource to put up to 15000 a year in that account. As long as it stays below 100000 it won't count for SSI. If it goes over 100000 they suspend the SSI payment. They don't lose Medicaid, but they suspend that SSI payment until it's back down below 100000 as okay. long as long as it's under two hundred and thirty-five thousand, which is the state, you know, uh, college savings plan maximum. As long as it stays below two hundred and thirty-five thousand, they keep Medicaid benefits. So that state limit, and I was I was noticing that some of the states have different limits here. Mm-hmm. Um, that state limit, because Medicaid is administered by the state, that's where they they set that limit. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. You know, as we were talking about the the idea of independence, I would you know financially this is a benefit, but I would think also, I don't know if psychologically is the right word, but just I would think that it would make someone feel a bit better about their situation, knowing that they're not completely dependent on others and that they have some sort of independence and they have some sort of stake in how their life is going. That's right, and I think families have operated under the table. Well, Johnny can't have more than two thousand dollars and keep his SSI and Medicaid going, so we're going to have to give him cash and stuff that's not reported and it's. You know, that's outside the system and not reported as it should be. Now there is an opportunity to get above in the light of day and use the ABLE account Mm. and let Johnny control that money and have some additional funds enhance his feelings of independence and Mm. self-autonomy, you know, uh, to to use those funds for his own benefit or to use it for savings for a longer term thing, like to get a wheelchair accessible vehicle later down the road. Right. And, and just to go back, because those those asset limits for SSI and for Medicaid are so low, I mean, they, mm-hmm. they really don't allow for that person to to, I mean, to have anything on their own. So somebody with, you know, particularly who has expensive needs, who may have medical emergencies, who may have more higher expenses than, than a lot of folks, to be restricted. Restricted to having only two thousand dollars to your name, you know, ever uh, mm-hmm. is is yeah. pretty extreme, and so this account just opens up so much for them, and, and you know, really opens kind of the rest yeah. of the world to them, which is a fantastic thing. Yeah. Okay, we need to take another break. Before we go, we're going to repeat this information a couple of times for you before the hour is out. Uh, if you want more information, there is a website, and it is MississippiAble.com. That's Mississippi spelled out A-B-L-E dot com. And a toll-free number is 888-609-3469. We'll continue visiting with our guest, Attorney Rick Courtney. We're talking about the ABLE accounts today and also looking for your personal finance questions. Call us if you want to join the conversation at 1877 MPB Ring. It's 1877-672-7464. Back with more money talks after this.
listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. He's also a chartered financial analyst and holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Today we are visiting with our guest, Attorney Rick Courtney, an attorney specializing in elder law and estate planning, and also uh, he is helping us understand the ABLE Act, which set up ABLE accounts, which are uh, savings accounts that disabled Mississippians can have uh, that will help them uh, with their um, health and independence, but also it preserves their means-tested government benefits. So SSI and Medicaid are not affected uh, when this ABLE account is set up. Um, so we have some open phone lines. If you have a question about this, it's brand new program here for Mississippi. Rick said it just started this month. So if you have a question regarding that or a personal finance question for Ryder, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can always email questions to the show as well. Send them to money at mpbonline.org. And in fact, we do have an email question here that says, my elderly retired mother put my name on her banking accounts and one credit card so I can assist with handling her business when necessary. Does this make my personal finances subject to her filings for Medicare? Uh, so do you want to take the Medicare side of that? I will. Yeah, Medicare is not going to be affected at all. They don't look at people's assets or income. If you've got Medicare, that's an entitlement, and so she has that. Uh, if you're on someone's credit card, <laughs> if you didn't sign up on that card to be liable for the debt under Mississippi law, you are not liable. I've had that mm. question. Guardians ask, well, I'm a guardian of my sister or my parent now. Am I responsible or liable for her debts? No. I'm married to uh, my husband has got some dementia. He goes to the casino and blows money and incurs a lot of credit card debt. Am I responsible for that, Mr. Courtney? No, ma'am, you're not. If you didn't sign up on the debt to be liable for it, law says you're not liable for it. Medical bills or anything. So that gives some people some assurance of they're protected from the liability exposure Mm -hmm. for that other person. But being on the checking account now with this uh, aunt or or, uh, mother. Mother, yeah, with the mother. uh, That can you know, yes, you have access to pay bills and things. That's a good thing. Uh-huh. But you want to be careful how you deal with that, because if you get tempted and spend money in a way that somebody else wants right. to accuse you of some bad stuff, you have to be concerned about that. And and I will say, you know, without knowing if she has other siblings, for example, um, that ownership structure, and also not knowing exactly how she's put her name on the account. You know, mm-hmm. is she a joint owner of the account? And like you pointed out, is she actually a joint holder? of that credit card, does she actually have any liability there, is something to watch out for. But if she has joint ownership of that account, you know, just watch out because that is a legal structure. And, you know, when her mother dies, that will just become hers. And, you know, if that is one of her mother's significant assets, then, you know, even if she's like, oh, you know, share this with your siblings, you know, you know what to do. It, it's legally hers. And that's mm-hmm. not the, the, I don't believe her will would even um, have a say on that. So just be careful about the legal structures um, y'all uh, that folks put in place, um, especially when you're dealing with any kind of significant assets there. Yeah. All right. Uh, we have a caller on the line. So why don't we say good morning to Stephen, who's called in from Holly Springs. Stephen, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. 
Thank you I, uh, for taking my call. I was just asking uh, earlier, uh, my wife was denied SSI back in the 80s because of my income. Has that changed? How much money can I make to be able to requalify her for SSI? Well, that's a good question because that has not changed. There are still what are called deeming rules in SSI policy. That is, if you're married and one of you applies for SSI, they will look at both of your assets and your income, and they will deem part of your assets available to your wife. They will subtract an amount you know, for you. They would subtract $2,000 for you and then 360 or something uh, for each ineligible child that you may have living in that household. Subtract those from your total savings accounts, and if there's more than $2,000 left, that is considered available to your wife and would disqualify her. So the deeming rules between spouses, there are deeming rules from a parent to a child that can keep a child from being eligible. Those are still in place in the Social Security policies. Okay, if once I retire in two more years, uh, uh, my income is going to be about $2,000 a month. Now, is that, and I have assets. I own my own home and all my vehicles and everything is assets. Uh, will that also disqualify for, for SSI? Well, it could. It, it's all, always a numbers evaluation for a particular case. So it would mean looking at all of your assets and your income uh, elements and determining whether those are low enough or to let her qualify or high enough that she would not qualify. So you could be disqualified for SSI because income is too high, but assets are fine. Or you could be dis- she could be disqualified for SSI because assets are too high, but income is fine. So it's a it's a per, it's a specific fact specific determination in each case. And I would say okay, just yeah. uh, his particular situation uh, for SSI does your primary residence or vehicles count towards your assets? SSI does not count your okay. home. They don't count one vehicle. So if there's more than one vehicle owned in the household, that will often disqualify someone for SSI. Good to know. All right, Stephen. Thanks. Well, uh, sorry, Sal. Sorry, I changed the subject. But oh, no, no, that's, no, no, no. Your time. This is fantastic. No, no. What matters to you matters to us. Right. That was a great All question. Right. I really appreciate him calling in. All right. Thank thanks, Stephen. Uh, yeah, and, and to, just to further that point, if, anytime you know, we 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 find our, our producer Liz Gill finds topics that we think will be interesting to you and, and important information, and especially here today, we're talking about this new program. But you know, we're always looking for any kind of personal finance related question that you have. So don't ever feel shy about calling in because you think your 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 question is off topic we're always uh, looking to help you out uh, as best we can so you can give us a call any week with any sort of personal finance question and we do have some open phone lines at one eight seven seven mpb ring it's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four also that was particularly particularly good because we have, you know, kind of the state's expert, you know, one of the best folks to ask questions about SSI, about things like that uh, in the studio. We don't always have exactly the right person. We don't always have exactly the right answer for you, all the info you need. But today was the day to call in with that question. So thanks for calling, Stephen. I've never listened to a show here that there wasn't the exact person that needed to be on here. <laughs> Let me just say, though, if Steve, for instance, a situation like Stephen says, if his wife 
life's disability began prior to age 26. And if their assets and savings were $15,000 too much for her to qualify, they could open an ABLE account for her, put $15,000 in there, Mm -hmm. it no longer counts, and that could make some something work. So it's always the creative solution problem solving that we try to do to make things work. Like you said, it's a numbers game. So you just kind of have to sit down, look at all those numbers, and see if you can make them fit. That's right. All right. Uh, Because, again, this is a a relatively new program and that sometimes in the hour people tune in and tune out, we might kind of go back and uh, retract some of the information that we've given out. We've talked about uh, that uh, someone has to be disabled before age 26, I believe. Correct. Mm -hmm. And you just mentioned again that the the annual amount that can be put in the account is $15,000 or less, not more than $15,000. Okay. Uh, And you talked about uh, what it could be used for. Could you give us maybe some examples of what might be some um, qualified expenses for uh, that, that could be used by, with the ABLE account? Well, I'm just going to take these notes back from Ryder here <laughs> and just, just tell you um, the uh, qualified disability expenses, and I'll just quote you from the statute. It says D- education, housing, transportation, employment training and support, assistive technology and personal support services, whatever that is, I mean, uh, health, prevention and wellness, financial management and administrative services, legal fees. I like that one. Right on his folks. I like, I like the, the financial, the financial management. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, expenses for oversight and monitoring, funeral and burial expenses, mm-hmm. and it says, and others that may be a, approved by Internal Revenue Service regulations. The regulations are early in this. Mm-hmm. They are continuing to evolve, so there may be other things uh, come along uh, in addition to those. So that's a broad range of things. Yeah, and that really, I mean, that, that covers uh, quite a bit of stuff. Um, does anyone ever audit the expenses and to determine if it's qualified or not? Well, this is uh, not really because it's up to the agency that's administering it to determine is there a disability, did it begin before age 26, and are we okay opening this account? So once they do that, they're under the same kind of uh, oversight, I suppose, as college savings plans would be. Uh, but mm-hmm. this is a tax law. So if I am a disabled person and I withdraw some money out of my ABLE account and I go to Disney World with it, all right? That may not be qualified disability-related expenses. What about expenses. the transportation well, to yeah, Disney World? That, that's what I'm thinking. You know, and personal support services is helping, paying somebody to help me out while I'm gone. Certainly those are bona fide possible expenses. But if there's something that's not a qualified disability expense, I'm supposed to show that on my mm. tax return. This is a tax law, remember? And I'm supposed to show it on my tax return, and that would make that little amount of income uh, taxable as part of my overall taxable income. Well, apply my tax rate to it, and that's pretty low for most people with disabilities. It's going to result in, you know, a few dollars to $100 of tax, Mm -hmm. usually. So it's not a big thing uh, if you're going to be sort of moderate about using things. Would would those withdrawals, uh, non-qualified withdrawals, affect eligibility for the SSI or Medicaid? No. As long as the account is in place, it's it's not a countable resource. So, so far as that account goes, it's is it countable or not countable? If it's there and in place, it's not countable, so they're just not looking at that money. There would be other things that um, could affect Medicaid eligibility, but not that account. So while, of course, you want to use these accounts to, you know, for the for the prescribed services, for things that you, just, that you need, you know, things happen, and you may make an excess withdrawal every now and then. It's not going to affect your uh, qualification for the programs, but it is just going to be a tax burden. 
And that's, I mean, like you pointed out, similar to the uh, college 529s in that it's all kind of self-reported on your taxes. Yes, you can have them send payments directly to a college for tuition and housing, etc. Um, but as well, you know, if you pay that out of pocket and then just turn around and reimburse yourself, it, it's a tax issue. It's, it's, it's not, it's not yeah. up to somebody, you know, saying, oh, I need to see every single receipt you pulled up, um, unless, of course, you get audited by the IRS. But um, that's, you know, it, it's, it's your, your duty as an American to uh, correctly and faithfully report your taxes. And let me point out another thing. If I have SSI, I am to report to Social Security office that I now have an ABLE account. They're entitled mm. to know that I have this account, and they will, their policies now say they won't count it as long as they say there's a valid ABLE account. It's not countable mm. unless it gets over 100000 which is some years down the road. But uh, here's another interesting twist. Social Security policies have been evolving as well. So if, if I set up a special needs trust for my child who has a disability, my adult daughter, and we put money in there, and I, if I have a special needs trust, if that trust pays her rent or mortgage payment, it will affect her SSI by reducing her SSI check by one-third every month, by $257. She'll mm. get $257 less SSI because they of an in-kind rule that somebody else is paying for her food or shelter. Instead. Okay. But if I put that money, if I have it where my special needs trust says the trustee can distribute into the ABLE account for her up to 15000 a year, the trust can put a contribution in an ABLE account. If she turns around and makes the rent payment with her own ABLE account check, there will be no reduction of her SSI. Mm-hmm. So these policies are we're saying, yeah, that's a good one. Let's use the ABLE account mm-hmm. in connection with a trust. So there are ways to even preserve and protect more benefits when you know how to use those things. Okay, we need to take one final break this hour. Bill, Kara, and Brian, please hang on. We're going to get to your calls right after this break as we wrap up the show. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio, visiting today with our guest attorney, Rick Courtney. We'll be back to wrap up the program after this. Listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, and our guest today, Attorney Richard Courtney. We've been talking about ABLE accounts, and we've got a couple of calls to get to, so let's immediately go to the phones. Bill's in Jackson. Bill, thanks for waiting. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, earlier, you were discussing the deeming rules. I know they just mentioned that as far as uh, a spouse and their income. Uh, here's another situation. Uh, I, I know that you also referred to when uh, that it might also affect a child qualifying for SSI. Uh, 
like if I have I have a disabled child living at home, uh, due to income, we do not qualify by my understanding for SSI. But of course, we do receive Medicaid services on the disabled child living at home program, not regular Medicaid. Uh, my question is: Is that my understanding has always been at 18? Do those rules no longer apply as far as deeming, or do they continue to apply, or how exactly does that work? Uh, that's the Thank you, Bill. That's the situation we had with my daughter. She was on the disabled child at home until age 18. The federal age of adulthood is 18. That's when you can serve in the military, vote, and all that, even though it's 21 in Mississippi. So for Social Security purposes, including SSI, when she turns 18, they quit looking at the parent's income and assets. The deeming rules go away, and she will qualify based on her own uh, assets that are in your daughter's name. Okay, that is exactly what I need to know. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your call, Bill. Let's next go to Kara, who's called in today. Kara, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Oh, hi. Uh, what did you know that earlier you mentioned about the SSI, uh, if the assets are there, then they deplete the SSI, uh, you know, payments to the to the citizens. Now, uh, SSI, I understand, is uh, entitlement program. So why is it subject to some tests? Because people have already paid uh, to get this benefit over the years. And so it's, uh, my understanding was that even if you're a millionaire, uh, you would still be entitled to your SSI income. No, but uh, that is, that's uh, not quite correct. The entitlement programs are Social Security Retirement and Social Security Disability. For those, you have paid into the system for some period of time enough to be qualified to get the benefits later if you retire or become disabled. SSI is what I call a welfare model program. It is a means-based or means-tested program. They look at your assets and income to determine your eligibility. People may have been disabled from birth, never paid into SSI, SSI or Social Security programs, but they could still get SSI if their assets are low enough and they are disabled. So that's the answer. All right. And even just speaking about taxability of entitlement programs like Social Security, they are taxable just at much, much reduced amounts of them are taxable. So, All right. And our final caller is Brian on the line from Brandon. Good morning, Brian. Go ahead. Uh, good morning. Uh, question for you. My father-in-law is in a nursing home, and uh, all of his needs are taken care of by Medicare and Medicaid. Um, but to get him into there, they had to show that he had no assets. So everything was put into my mother-in-law's name. Then she unexpectedly died without a will. Um, and now the family is looking to uh, sell their property but they're hesitating because they've been told that if they sell it now while my father-in-law is still alive, he would receive uh, a share equal to what the children would receive. And the concern is is that that is going to mess up uh, his Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, is, is that true? That probably is true because inheritance law, when she died without a will, says her assets that were in her name at that point passed to her surviving spouse and children in equal shares. So he would get a child's share. 
That is his entitlement. Now, does he, if he has a child who is on Social Security disability, has been determined disabled, he could, you could transfer all of his assets out to that child, and there's no penalty for giving those assets to a child with a disability. But if there is no such child, you know, if your wife's siblings are not disabled on Social Security disability, then he may just end up inheriting that share, reporting it to Medicaid. If that puts him over $4,000 of countable money, then he may have to private pay for for nursing home care until that money is back down below $4,000. There may be other planning strategies available, but without more information and details, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Okay. Thank you very much. Yes, All right, sir. Brian, thanks for your call. I've uh, got a little bit of time left. We had an earlier email, and uh, our emailer called or emailed back to clarify. So uh, the question is, my elderly retired mother put my name on her banking accounts and one credit card so I can assist with handling her business when necessary. Does this make my personal financial subjects to her filings for Medicaid? An original email said Medicare, and she's asking about Medicaid. She says she's the only child of the elder parent, and her bank statement has my name and her name on it. So her mother state has her name on it as well. So does that clear if, things up? If mom has a joint checking or banking account that has the child on there with her, it's, uh, Medicaid rules, and this is not SSI related, this is just Medicaid, nursing home Medicaid <clears throat> issue. Medicaid does not even count that child. They disregard that child. It's all mom's money. So the mm. entire balance of that checking account is considered mom's money for determining Medicaid eligibility. It doesn't allow the child to say, well, half of it's mine and only half's counted to mom, right? No, that's not how Medicaid does. Okay. So uh, is that just a general rule for joint accounts, joint assets? Uh, Medicaid will count it as all the person who's asking. That's right. Unless it's spouses, then it's 50-50 each. Got it. All right. If you need information on an ABLE account, you can go to their website, Mississippi ABLE. That's Mississippi spelled out, A-B-L-E dot com. The toll-free number is 888-609-3469. That's going to wrap us up today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio. Our show is produced each week by Liz Gill. So for Ryder Taft and attorney Rick Courtney, I'm Kevin Farrell. Up next at 10, it's In Legal Terms, where Rick will continue with MPB by answering legal questions about guardianship and conservatorships. We'll be back on Money Talks next Tuesday at 9. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, a financial partner for businesses throughout the South for 130 years. Trustmark offers a range of products and services designed to help small businesses efficiently manage finances. More info at Trustmark.com, member FDIC. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 